Welcome to Chicago History and Automotive Heaven. World-class restaurants, arts, entertainment, and theaters. First skyscraper, 1890. Tallest buildings, beautiful lakefront. Stories on pioneers and industry leaders that made a difference in America. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Richie C. Welcome to Chicago History. You know, help keep Chicago stories like the one I'm going to do today on the air. Donate, support, or sponsor the show. Your donations, your sponsorship will bring more wonderful stories about Chicago and the great automotive industry. You know, today we're going to do a story about... uh, an amusement park. Uh, there's something in the water here in Chicago because no matter what we do, no matter from the 1800s on, it's amazing what transpires here in Chicago. But for more information on the show, you can check out our podcast site at www.richiez.com. That's R-I-C-H-I-E, Z like in zebra, ie dot com. Uh, check out our video department. We have uh, fifteen television shows. Some of my vintage shows on that site. You know, I, I'm going to pick out a few uh, to talk about every now and then. But definitely go there and check out uh, Street Rods Only. It's a guy in Southern Illinois that builds some of the most finest hot rods on the face of the earth. When we shot that show. He was getting around $150,000 to build a Corvette, a street rod. It's all brand new. Today, he's charging around three hundred twenty-five dollars to $350,000 to build any kind of car you want. But also check out Richie's Tip Jar because in there, you will find tips that will save you time, money, and aggravation. I think today we're going to have some time at the end of the show, so we're going to go into Richie's Tip Jar and expand on some of the tips I have in there. So stay tuned for that. Today's show takes us back into the 1800s again. This city was just totally amazing. To get this uh, ready, this story ready that I wrote a number of years ago, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Chicago and its demographics at that time. Uh, up north around Western uh, and Addison, Belmont Avenue. Uh, really, that was like the, the end of the city. I mean, that was like really uh, the river. There was nothing on the other side of the river up north there. So we're going to take a journey and tell you about Riverview Amusement Park. It's gone, but it's not forgotten. You know, the story we're about to tell you is my poetic license on how things uh, evolved and why the park actually closed. A lot of times, you know, that story's been told probably hundreds and hundreds of times by different people. Uh, they sound almost the same, but um, if you listen to my show, you know that we do positives. We don't do any of the negatives. So we're gonna we're gonna take you on a wonderful journey with a story about Riverview Amusement Park in Chicago, Illinois. Okay, it started back in 1904. 
and it went through till 1967. 64 years of fun and paradise. Riverview's motto was, laugh your troubles away. Built as the world's greatest and largest amusement park in its time. In the late 1800s, Wilhelm Schmidt opened a German sharpshooting range, park, and picnic grove. The Schmidt family installed some swings, rides, a dance hall for the ladies and kids. They actually set up the targets on the east side of the Chicago River, and they would pace off probably 50 feet or so, and they would shoot at the targets while on the other side of the river there was nothing, so they didn't have to worry about it. Kind of an amazing part of uh, Chicago. But this park not only was famous for attractions in that, but it also brought people into the neighborhood, and that neighborhood grew. In fact, around that neighborhood, there's a very large German population in the city of Chicago, Europeans. Well, anyway, let's get back to this. Um, Riverview Park was born in 1904. Wilhelm's son, George, began to expand the park with ideas he picked up in Europe and at the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. I was young when I saw the seven 70-horse carousel, the merry-go-round, for the first time. It was a piece of artwork, handcrafted and painted by a group of Swiss and Italian craftsmen, installed in the park back in 1908. I'm glad to say that this ride is still in use at the Six Flags in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, most of the rides and most of the attractions and things from Riverview Park are gone today. I would like to see that again. Maybe one of these days we're going to take a ride down there and uh, film that uh, carousel, that merry-go-round, and uh, put it on one of our television shows. In fact, we are working on some uh, television shows for our website, so... Uh, if you have an idea or if you'd like to be a sponsor of one of our shows, uh, let us know also. But again, in the winter months, in the early 1900s, a ballroom, a roller rink, and was added for entertainment. The Roaring Twenties had a effect on Riverview in a positive way. It was profitable. During Prohibition, drinking patrons continued the flow of beer. This gave the Schmidt family money and added rides and expanded the park. Chicago's mayor, Big Bill Thompson, in the 1920s, sponsored free Children's Days at Riverview Amusement Park. He would pay the streetcar fare and the admission to the park. What an interesting concept back then. A politician would actually do something nice for the community. In 1926, the Bobs was added, an 11-car roller coaster with an 85-foot drop. 
the most fearless roller coaster in America at that time. It was the fastest on record. The Bobs carried 1,200 passengers per hour. It drew over 700,000 people to the park each season from all over the world. The Bobs was the most popular ride throughout Riverview existence. The 30s depression hit Riverview very hard, as it did most entertainment industry. A devastating fire burned down the fun house, the Derby racing coaster, and even in the hard times, Chicagoans continued to go to Riverview Amusement Park. It was an amazing thing. We'll get into some more about uh, what made Riverview last so long and what made it so successful. This gentleman here, the son of Wilhelm, which was George Schmidt, introduced the foot-long hot dog. You know, you don't see that that much anymore, but when I was a kid, that was big thing at hot dog stands, the foot-long hot dog. Most visitors during the Depression opted to eat in the barrio in Riverview instead of outside restaurants. The foot-long hot dog was born. George Schmidt called it the foot-long filling and experience. In the 30s, also brought the motto, laugh your troubles away. Boy, everybody remembers that one, if anybody remembers uh, Riverview Amusement Park. The 40s brought more changes to Riverview. After World War II, Riverview became a very popular place for returning servicemen, women. We baby boomers of the 40s and 50s have uh, increased the uh, entrance for the Riverview Amusement Park. Families had more kids and enjoyed Riverview in the 50s. Riverview kept, Riverview Park kept entertaining Chicagoans for over a half a century. During the 1950s, couples that met at Riverview were actually married at the uh, pair of shoots. A number of amusement parks in America in the late 1940s was about 425. By the late 1950s, the number of amusement parks grew to over 720. You know, this kind of tapped into Riverview's attendance because if you had an amusement park near uh, or in your state, you wouldn't come all the way to Chicago. But in the very beginning, Riverview made a lot of money, expanded because of people going to Riverview from all over the world. For the first 50 years, visitors came from all over the world because you could laugh your troubles away at Riverview Amusement Park. All ethnic backgrounds enjoyed Riverview Park together. At night, Riverview Park was just beautiful. With all the lights, I was very young, when, and I still remember Riverview Park. It etched 
an image in my mind. The first time I saw Riverview Amusement Park at night, with all the lights lit up and everything, it lit up the sky. It was, to a, a child, back then it was like spiritual. You know, you heard about God and uh, the shining lights and all of that. Well, the first time you saw Riverview Amusement Park, believe me, folks, it was... Uh, it was a, a spiritual experience for for a young person. Uh, in the hot summer, Riverview was a cooler place because of the open area, the open space, and the cool air from the west side, which was the Chicago River. Some of the famous rides at Riverview Amusement Park, the Silver Flash, a small train traveling on a wooden track, no safety belts, no paddles, no buttons. You just grabbed onto the handrail. And believe me, folks, you grabbed onto the handrail. You know what amazes me? Today, no matter where you go, there's 47 warnings. They strap you into these uh, rides and this and that. And... People still, with all the warnings, all the strapped in, and all the other stuff, managed to get hurt today. Back then, there were no belts. There were n- there was nothing in these rides at Riverview, and nobody got hurt. You know, when they told you to hold on to the grab bar, that's what you did. The Silver Flash looked like a Chicago L train. No safety belts. No one got hurt. On the west side of the park, there was the river. No fence, no safety signs, no one fell into the river. I wonder why you think people were just maybe smarter back then? From the top of the chutes, a 20-foot wooden boat that went down 40 foot into the water. For safety, just a grab bar. Nobody ever fell out or, or got hurt. Uh, flying turns. A roller coaster car that went free rolling in the top of the chutes. Gravity was the only safety harness that kept you safe. No one ever fell out. The rides that scared me was when I was very young was the parachutes. You sat on a single plank of wood, maybe a two by eight with two chains, and you held on to the two chains and you fell. They rose you up about sixty to seventy feet in the air and dropped you until the chutes opened and brought you down to the ground. This was the scariest ride I ever went on. Aladdin's Castle was called the Fun House. It was, uh, the roller was the round room that spun around and centrifugal forts pinned you against the wall until the floor dropped out from under you.
Two Chefs Cafe and Catering, 3 South Center Street, Bensonville, Illinois. Call 630-766-6030. Quality food, cozy atmosphere. Let us cater your next event. Have your next party or event at Two Chefs. Weddings, birthday parties, showers, funeral luncheons. We can accommodate parties from 10 people to 150 in our elegant establishment. Call 630-766-6030. Mention Chicago History and Automotive Heaven and get 15% off. Folks, email me. Let me know what you think of our show, but also I will get you a voucher. I'll email you back a voucher to get 15% off a meal at Two Chefs Cafe and Catering. Dr. James Izzo, DDS, Miles of Smiles Dental Work, General Dentistry. Call 708-983-3670. We're located at 7234 West North Avenue. That's Cameo Towers in Elmwood Park, Illinois. Call our office and mention Chicago History and Automotive Heaven and get a special on teeth bleaching, teeth whitening, folks. Normally it goes for $199. Mention our show and you get it for $89. Call 708-983-3670. Folks, also you can go to our website and all of our sponsors are listed. Please patronize our sponsors because without them, we will not be on the air. Magic Video and Television Productions. Complete wedding package includes church ceremony, reception, cake cutting, toast, first dance, and much more. Anniversary, retirement parties, banquets, reunions, any special event. Quality work with digital cameras dedicated to make your event special and memorable. Call 312-450-2750. We capture those treasured moments forever. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to take you back on a little trip about Riverview Amusement Park. You know, we, we got as far as the 60s here. Skyride was a little car on a cable that was the last ride built at Riverview Park in the early 60s. This ride actually cost about $375,000 back in the early 1960s. That was a lot of money, and that ride was never profitable for Riverview Amusement Park. An inside look at Riverview just for fun. People were hired to walk around the midway uh, with prizes and, and still etching uh, to get people interested in uh, playing and, and gambling for some of these uh, prizes at Riverview Amusement Park. They never was set a closing time for Riverview Amusement Park. Closing time was dependent on the crowd flow. They would actually turn the lights, they would flicker them on and off a number of times, letting the vendors know the crowd flow was low and they'd be closing in the next uh, hour or so. Riverview was actually 74 acres of parkland at Belmont and Addison going south toward, uh, or going north toward uh, Addison on Belmont Avenue. You know, 
it had a huge impact on the residents of the city of Chicago. If you were a baby boomer, you know, you just say the magic word, Riverview Amusement Park, and you watch a smile come on a face. Riverview was true magic. I was lucky to actually grow up in a time where I could enjoy uh, Riverview, and we actually saw uh, the closing of it in 1967. In its 64 years of entertainment, over 200 million people attended Riverview Amusement Park. Riverview employed hundreds of thousands of people, and they made a living wage. It was a great time in America that so many of us grew up in. America can do it again. You know, but by the 60s, I want to talk a little bit about the 60s, attendance was way off at a at Riverview Amusement Park. You know, what, being a baby boomer, what our parents and our grandparents did, uh, we didn't do. There was a lot more for us to do between uh, going to drive-ins. The automobile, I just want to say one thing in the 60s, you know, became an era that was phenomenal. We will touch on it in our shows, but I'm talking about muscle car era. You know, when you went out on a date, you went to places like uh, Skips where uh, drive-in restaurants and stuff, drive-in movies and that. Riverview was not a place that the, the baby boomers went to. Um, so the park in the 60s was actually needing in excess of $1.5 million in renovations and repairs. The uh, attendance was off by about half, so the park was not profitable. You'll hear a lot of stories. You might go on the Internet and read or even go through books and that. And people talk about uh, other things closing the park. Everything I've read and all the research I've done, it really had nothing to do with Riverview closing. It was just the time. It wasn't profitable. Uh, but here's the real fact about Riverview. On October 3rd, 1967, LaSalle Street Investment Group purchased Riverview Amusement Park for an estimated $6.5 million. Now, there were 74 acres there. But what would you do now? I asked the question because we deal with a lot of common sense in that. What would you do if you had an amusement park that your attendance was half off, you weren't making any money, and the place needed a million and a half, maybe even $2 million worth of repairs and and renovation? Well, it was just a time. So they actually closed Riverview Amusement Park in 1967, and to stop people from uh, trying to prevent it from closing or or do things, they started tearing it down right away. You know, if you think about the money in today's day and age, you're probably that 6.5 million 
that was paid for the park back in 1967 is probably somewhere in the vicinity of 95 to 100 million dollars today. So it gave the family an opportunity to do uh, different things. You know, you remember the simple fun, and again, when you think about Riverview from the very beginning, when you read the stories and you just remember, some of you uh, I might have touched a nerve with, Google Riverview, go even to uh, YouTube, because I did a lot of research on this story, but uh, go to YouTube, and there's people did a lot of videos So if you really enjoyed Riverview and seeing it, uh, you can actually go there and uh, find all kinds of interesting uh, videos and pictures and the rides and just the the look of Riverview itself. It's uh, a wonderful part of Chicago history. You know, maybe somewhere down the road, I'm working on it, I'm playing with it, Uh, there was another place that lasted, I think, about 70 years and it was on the North um, North Avenue, around First Avenue, just out of the city limits. Uh, it was called Kitty Land, and that was a wonderful place too. Today we have a Costco there. You know, keeping with uh, Chicago and that, I want to tell you another story that I wrote about uh, that some of you probably don't know about, but I'm going to tell you the story about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, I'd like to take this opportunity address, to address a story significant from Chicago, Illinois. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was the most famous reindeer of all. Story begins, story began because of Rudolph was teased by the other reindeer because of his large growing red nose. All the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph in and join any reindeer games. Rudolph's luck changed when Christmas Eve turned foggy, and Santa worried about that he would not be able to deliver all the gifts, so he put Rudolph on the front of the sleigh. Now, Robert L. May created Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, in 1939 for Chicago's Montgomery Wards. It was a coloring book. He was an artist that worked for Montgomery Wards. Now, interesting part of Montgomery Ward and this story is Montgomery Ward was the first one ever in the history of catalogs to start that, 1872 Montgomery Ward started the first catalog. It was one page, and he sent it out to people in rural areas, uh, and he became the largest distributor, a uh, mailhouse, uh, back then. I always thought it was Sears Roebuck, but they, they ended up making a book also, but Montgomery Ward uh, was the first. So Robert L. May created Rudolph in 1939 for Montgomery Wards as a coloring book. In the first year of publication, they published 2.4 million copies of Rudolph and were distributed by Montgomery Wards. It was a fun time in America. 
Mr. May's brother-in-law, Johnny Mac, Marks, decided to adapt the popular uh, coloring book into a song. He was actually a, uh, he ran a radio station, but he was actually a songwriter and a producer of radio at the time. So he actually wrote the song, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. On November 25th, 1949, the singing cowboy, Gene Autry, recorded Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in Chicago. In one short month, Rudolph went to number one and was the week right before Christmas. That year, in one month, they sold 2.5 million copies of the song. Now, that song, kind of an amazing story also. Gene Autry was the singing cowboy back in those days. He had a very popular television show. But most people don't know about what Gene Autry did when he first started out. He started out buying radio stations because he wanted the radio stations to play his music. So he would go, there was a lot of real, real small radio stations. He would go around to different towns and cities and that, and he would come in and make these people that owned the station an offer. Now, he didn't want to fire anybody or anything like that, so he would buy you out and give you a job. But then you had to play his music. So that's one of the reasons, you know, when people hear this number of 2.5 million copies were sold in a month, you know, WGN was very big. Montgomery Wards was very big. There was a lot of things going on, but also Gene Autry having, uh, I think at, at, at his peak, it was somewhere around 60 radio stations. I know in California, he was on Rodeo Drive with a radio station and it was on the second floor, on the first floor, the Auburn car manufacturer had a showroom in California back then. So, Kind of an interesting story. Uh, since then, the story has been transferred into 25 different languages and has charmed audiences around the world. You know, another wonderful part of Chicago. These stories we are working on right now, there are so many of them. In fact, next week is going to be uh, Polish Constitution Day. And the Polish contribution to the city of Chicago from the very beginning is unbelievable. So that's going to be an interesting story to listen into next week. Uh, and we're going to have the Polish Constitution Day parade, which is very large. But you know what? I want to tell you just a little bit about that. In the 70s, one out of every 10 Chicagoans was Polish. They built this whole city. So that'll be an interesting show next week. Magic Video and Television Productions. Complete wedding package includes church ceremony, reception, 
cake cutting, toast, first dance, and much more. Anniversary, retirement parties, banquets, reunions, any special event. Quality work with digital cameras dedicated to make your event special and memorable. Call 312-450-2750. We capture those treasured moments forever. Two Chefs Cafe and Catering, 3 South Center Street, Bensonville, Illinois. Call 630-766-6030. Quality food, cozy atmosphere. Let us cater your next event. Have your next party or event at Two Chefs. Weddings, birthday parties, showers, funeral luncheons. We can accommodate parties from 10 people to 150 in our elegant establishment. Call 630-766-6030. Mention Chicago History and Automotive Heaven and get 15% off. Folks, email me. Let me know what you think of our show, but also I will get you a voucher. I'll email you back a voucher to get 15% off a meal at Two Chefs Cafe and Catering. Magic Video and Television Productions. Complete wedding package includes church ceremony, reception, cake cutting, toast, first dance, and much more. Anniversary, retirement parties, banquets, reunions, any special event. Quality work with digital cameras dedicated to make your event special and memorable. Call 312-450-2750. We capture those treasured moments forever. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richie Z. You know, we're going to go into uh, something I did a number of years ago. Uh, uh, Richie's tip jar is on the uh, website on our podcast site. You know, every one of these shows that we do here at Talk Zone, uh, you can actually hear 24-7 at RichieZ.com. We have a podcast site set up with a lot of interesting things. So it's www.richie. Z like in zebra, i.e. dot com, richiez.com. You know, for about 10 years, I did uh, energy saving seminars, self-defense seminars, uh, at home shows and uh, senior groups and, and, and things like that. But we had a lot of energy saving tips. Oh, God, about 15 years ago, I think I started that. Uh, I think they're more useful today than ever with the high cost of energy. You know, we've done some of them on the show uh, about the automobile industry, but I did a a one-hour seminar about homes and improvements and things you can do to save anywhere from 10 to 50% on energy cost around your home. These are all simple tips. I'm not going to make you, well, if you have the old windows, single-pane windows and all of that, that's a no-brainer. We want you to replace them. And if you have doors that are really bad, um, also. But I'm going to give you some tips today in today's show uh, that uh, will probably blow your mind but save you anywhere from 10 to 50% on energy cost around your home. First off, I want to start out with... Uh, the outlet covers for your uh, electrical outlets you plug things into, your light switches on the walls. Now, depending on your home, uh, you could lose anywhere from 5 to 12% on energy costs 
around those outlet covers. The walls are hollow and cold or hot air is coming into your house. Now, to prove my point, the next windy day, very windy day outside, I want you to take like a punk that smokes and I want you to go around those outlet covers. If you see that smoke being blown away, you know there's air coming in to your home. Cold air in the wintertime, hot air in the summertime. Now, to prevent the leakage that you have, and everybody has it in each and every house, you can take styrofoam that you get your meat and vegetables on, take and wash it, dry it, that piece of styrofoam, you're going to be actually recycling and insulating at the same time. I want you to take the outlet covers off, the light switch covers off, do one room at a time, put a Sunday paper down on the table so it's very thick, get a sharp razor blade, and you can actually press this outlet cover into the styrofoam, And you can draw it out with a marker or a pen, or you can just start cutting with a safety edge razor blade, a utility knife, or something on that order. Once you have it completely cut out, go back and screw it back onto your wall. You have just created a seal that prevents that air from going in and out of your house. Now, they do make special kits. Um... At the big box stores, you can pick up sealer kits. Uh, if you have the regular square outlets, they'll work just fine. But they're not as thick as the styrofoam you get when you buy meat in that. So I like my idea a little better because with that idea, you can actually recycle. So that styrofoam isn't ending up in uh, landfills, and it is a lot thicker than the insulating kits that you buy at the big box stores. With this winter that we've just had, it's been extremely cold, and everything has taken uh, some real drastic abuse. Well, garage doors do take a real big beating. Most of you have garage doors with the track on them, and you have the springs going. Uh I do suggest getting a product called Lithium Grease. It's a white grease. It comes in a can where you can actually uh, put it on with a a little brush. But I do like the little spray cans. What I want you to do is take this Lithium Grease spray cans. When your garage door is closed, spray the rollers, just all the rollers. you got rollers probably... Somewhere in the vicinity of uh, two, four, six, about eight, maybe ten at the most, depending on the size of your door. Spray the rollers. Don't go crazy. Just spray them enough, just just to coat them. Open and close the door a few times. Get the door in the open position. Spray the rollers again. This will prevent any kind of drag on the garage door, the opener itself, and keep everything flowing and lubricated and lasting a lot longer. I'm sure a lot of you have had the issue where uh, it's actually slipped or, or something fell out of the rollers and that you actually, if you're not handy, you actually have to call a repairman, and that's kind of costly. 
I don't want to tell people that they could service their own door because the springs in that, you really have to know what you're doing. Um, if those springs pop, you can get hurt. You will get hurt. I won't even say you could get hurt. So um, by doing what I'm just saying, though, uh, you may even want to take something like a, a, a NAFTA or a denatured alcohol before we do this, maybe even wipe down the track to make sure you get all the dirt out. Dirt's a real nasty uh, thing because when it gets into areas like that, it actually slows down the movement of the doors. So if you do that, clean the track, spray the rollers in the down position, spray the rollers in the up position, and that'll help you when it comes to... uh your doors going up and down. One thing I I dealt a lot with throughout the years of of working in the uh, uh, commercial trade, going to trade shows and that, I found a product called Solar Caulk. Now, folks, caulking around windows and doors is very, very important. Most of the stuff you get at the big back stores today, you, you have a whole aisle of caulk. Most of it is garbage. There's a major manufacturer. I don't want to get sued. I don't want to name the name product. But if you go to a store, you'll see the name all over the place. Well, it's ground up limestone, and it has some other chemicals in it, bonding chemicals. Once you caulk with that stuff, it actually dries out, gets hard. And expansion and contraction with weather changing, that caulk actually cracks out and is worthless. You know, sometimes you'll see these sales on that type of caulk that I'm talking about for a dollar a tube. Well, what do you expect to get for a dollar a tube? Don't forget, if they're selling it for a dollar or even two dollars a tube, that means the manufacturing cost of it is maybe 30, 40 cents because the retailer has got to make uh, double the, the, the price. Half the price has got to go to the retailer, the box store that it's in. So I like this product called Solar Caulk. You can go on the Internet, look it up. You can find out where it's being sold. Most of your building supply stores will have Solar Caulk in them. Uh, another uh, place where you can purchase uh, Solar Caulk is at uh, roofing supply stores. Not the big box stores, but roofing supply store. Now, this solar caulk is a product that is uh, completely like a polymer. It is a polymer. So no matter what it what happens with the temperature, it actually expands and contracts. Now, let me give you a couple of tips on caulking around doors and windows at your home on the exterior. You know, you always see these guys caulking, and then they take their finger, and they wipe it, and it looks real pretty, and there's hardly any caulk in that little groove. Well, first-time expansion and contraction occurs with uh, weather temperature changes. That caulk will actually crack out, and even solar caulk, if it's not, it doesn't have a thick base to it on both sides, will actually come out. So what you need to do is cut your tube. I like cutting them on an angle. Depending on the opening that I have to caulk, um, I like to put an overlap of at least 
<clears throat> two sixteenths of an inch, three sixteenths of an inch would be ideal on each side. And if you cut the tube on an angle, cut the tip on an angle, you can actually put down a nice bead where it's not real thick and sticking out. You can actually make it flow. I tell people all the time at home shows in that, take and um, put two pieces of wood together. Screw them together, nail them together, whatever. And, and do some testing to get what we're talking about, where you got the overlap on both sides, get comfortable with it, maybe buy that inexpensive caulk to do the testing, and then purchase the solar caulk. Solar caulk will cost you probably around $5 a tube. So it's not cheap, but here's the trick. Once you do it with solar caulk, you'll never have to do it again. I found this because I used to do some roofing and do different things, uh, home repair and that. Wonderful part about solar caulk is it's uh, it's solvent. Every chem- every caulk has a solvent in it. That's it keeps it wet until it's used, and then it, that solvent will dry out. Well, more than half of the principle in the solvent that they use for solar caulk is a penetrant. This chem this this caulk was in, in, uh, invented for the roofing industry. A long time ago, 50, 60 years ago. And the interesting part about it, if anybody's ever been up on a roof or has done any kind of roof work, you know you're going to be dealing with shingles, aluminum, brass, copper, brick, wood, every kind of material imaginable, the lead stacks. So solar caulk actually penetrates and sticks to all those uh, uh materials that I just talked about. One thing I want to mention big time, don't ever use any kind of silicone. I remember when they first came out with silicone in the 70s, boy, we all thought it was the savior. Man, it would stick two things together. But if anybody's ever saw silicone coming apart, all you got to do is grab and start pulling and the whole strip comes out. So silicone is not something you want to use around your home. Hey, a great tip uh, for around the home, get yourself a little organizer. Get a five-gallon bucket at the home stores, the box stores, but there's something called the Bucket Boss, and it's actually like a sleeve, a glove that fits inside, over the outside edge of a five-gallon bucket. And it's got pockets for just about every tool that you need around a home. Pliers, screwdrivers, hammers, uh, chisels, uh, utility knives, and on and on. I think it has somewhere in the vicinity of uh, 70 or 80 pockets on the inside and outside of the bucket. And you could put other things that you need um, to do home repair. So whenever you have to do home repair, I know I love my uh, bucket boss. You can carry it over to wherever you're going to be working, and you have everything there, rolls of tape, uh, electrical tape, and on and on. So that's a wonderful thing. They have it at the big box stores also. Here's a huge tip. Uh, lately, there's been a lot of issues with water and that. Um, I'm going to expand on this tip today, but before you shut water off at your home, about an hour before, or if you are just going to be doing some maintenance around the house, I suggest going around and doing it right now. It won't hurt anything. 
get a can of spray penetrating oil and go around and spray your shutoff valves under your sink, around your toilet, but even the main one coming into the house. Uh, spray them with penetrating oil. Uh, if you're going to be shutting the water off or turning it back on for the outside spigots, I definitely want you to uh, spray with penetrating oil. Ideal thing is the night before, but if you spray it, if you need to do it right away, I would suggest waiting anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes and then try to uh, uh, shut the water off or turn it back on. Now, a little trick with that, um, you know, it's stuck in a position where it doesn't want to move. So tightening it down to, to shut it off or, or loosening it up, whichever one it is, go the other way. If you're going to, to, to screw it in, that would shut it off. I want you to maybe just take a, a big a set of channel locks, grab the, the handle, and turn it. Just give it a little break the other way, like tightening it. That usually breaks it free and makes it a lot easier to, to uh, screw back in. Uh, while screwing it back in, you may want to spray some more penetrating oil on that. Now, this I've seen a lot. You... Um, Shut off the water, you're going to be fixing the toilet, let's just say, or the sink in the, in the house. Um, you go to turn, you got your repair done, you, you shut the water down, you, you got your repair done, and you turn the water back on, now that shutoff valve is leaking. There's usually a nut underneath that shutoff handle that you use. If you just take and snug that a little bit, it'll stop the leak. If you are doing any replacing of any kind of faucets, uh, toilet, or anything like that in your house, definitely replace the shutoff. If you live in Chicago like I do or in an older home where there is galvanized piping throughout the home, I definitely want you to, uh, it's a good time of the year right now, take off all the ends of your uh, faucets your shower head, get a container, a plastic container, a gallon pail or something like that. Pour some uh, uh, lime away. We'll actually soak that uh, the, the tips in the lime away, and that will actually clean them, and you'll get a better spray of water. You know, a lot of the older homes, the shower heads ain't working as good as they should be. Ain't. That's a good word. Uh, but uh, if you soak that shower head in lime away, it'll actually work very, very well. Uh, WD-40 is a wonderful product. A little bit of uh, about WD-40. There was two products that were invented in World War II. One was WD-40. And they invented it to spray on the tanks. If a tank was running through the day and ran through all kinds of water in that, in the morning when they went to start it up in that, it didn't want to move because of rust in that. They would spray the tracks. You know, instead of wheels, they have these tracks on these tanks. Well, they sprayed it with WD-40. And it just became, in the military, a product that they used everywhere. And it was really wonderful. Two things about WD-40 that most people don't know. Number one, it's water-soluble. I know before the winter, 
I always take my motorcycle before I put it away, and I spray down all the metal, all the uh, seats and everything with WD-40. And that prevents rusting over the winter. Even if it's in a garage, we get some higher temperature, you get condensation, and metal will sweat, and there's a lot of chrome on a motorcycle, and it'll rust. Well, that prevents it from rusting. And in the spring, all you do is take out your garden hose, a bucket of water, and some uh, soap, and it's all completely gone. Another thing that I want to mention about WD-40 is it's uh, actually flammable. So be careful with WD-40 around fires. You know, I did mention about two products that were invented for uh, World War II. And they were invented by Americans. You know, we invented just about everything. Um, the other product was duct tape. It was invented for the war. It had nothing to do with heating and air conditioning or duct work or any of that. I don't even know where they got the, the term duct tape, but I'll tell you what it was invented for. It was invented for taping two boxes of ammunition together because it was very hard to carry uh, two boxes in one hand. So they would actually tape the two boxes together. They had handles on each box. So this allowed them to carry four boxes of ammunition instead of two. You know, a very important tip around your home, you're going to be in the big box stores buying things and that. I want you to buy a flashlight with a magnet on it. This is probably one of the most important tips any home should have. You should have a flashlight that is working properly, something of quality. Don't buy something at the dollar store. Well, the dollar store don't have magnets on the flashlights, but buy something of quality. Buy some quality batteries, and I want you to put that flashlight at the fuse box at your home. You know, uh, when power goes off, when you blow a circuit, uh and if you don't have lights on, it's very difficult at night to find a fuse box. I don't want you opening the door and messing around with fuses if you can't see what you're doing. The best tip, like I say, is uh, making sure that you uh, put that quality flashlight, quality bear batteries at the uh, fuse box. And that usually lasts about a year or so. So uh, another wonderful tip. Uh, you know, we're getting into the summer season now. We're going to actually try to, uh, I have some editing issues. I have shows that I did on home improvement and uh, energy savings. I'm looking for somebody to edit. If anybody's out there that's uh, interesting to be involved in a show, we got Channel 25 in Chicago that wants to air our shows. But we have to reformat the shows to uh, their uh, playback uh operations that they have there but uh, one of the main things right now it's time to change the filter in your furnace that's huge you know a lot of people don't change them at all they should be really changed every 30 days real big uh, important tip about filters for your furnace go out and buy a quality filter what i mean by that is find a filter that is washable these filters uh keep a lot of allergies and stuff, uh, allergy uh, 
that are floating around in the air in the filter. But every 30 days, you'll be able to pull it out, spray it with something like Simple Green, hose it off, let it dry for about 10 minutes, and put it back in. So you might pay triple or quadruple the amount for the uh, filter, but you'll be able to reuse it uh, time and time again. Another thing I'm talking about while I'm in the furnace, I might as well get into the air conditioner. We're going to be coming on to that season real quick. Whether you have a window unit or if you have an outside wind, uh, air conditioning unit, they should be cleaned. Uh, window units should be cleaned at least every season. If you use it a lot in the summertime, maybe twice a season. And what I mean by cleaning them is taking that filter out and everything, but taking the unit out actually... Uh, spraying it all down with Simple Green and hosing it off. The outside unit, we actually did a thing on TV about it, but the outside unit definitely um, gets full of all these uh, uh, things flying around in the air, the white uh, cotton type of uh, things floating around in the air. You can take and spray that unit down with Simple Green, get a, a whisk broom, and actually, or even, I, I like using a uh, snow brush for your automobile. Uh, brush it down gently. You don't want to hurt the coils. And then hose it down. You'll make your air conditioner work a lot more efficient and probably save 20% on your energy costs. You know what? For uh, Chicago history and automotive heaven, I'm Richie Z. I'd like to thank you for uh, listening, tuning in every week. Don't forget to check out our uh our site at our podcast site at uh, www.richiezie. And if you'd like to sponsor the show, you can call me direct at uh, 312-450-2750. So until next week, thank you for listening, and we'll see you then.